Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Isaiah chapter 9, reading from the first verse. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then to chapter 65, which is found on page 752, this time reading from verse 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain, or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy 
in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, that we can sing of the Lord Jesus, the one who lived on earth, who felt our grief and pain. And we thank you that as we come to you, we know the same Lord Jesus is the one who deals with all grief and pain through his death on the cross and his future promised. And we pray that we'd grasp that again this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit. Well, again, my uh, welcome to you, uh, as I uh, add my welcome to that of Andrew's earlier. Andrew has uh, helpfully um, uh, reminded us, if we needed any reminder, of what today is about. We remember today those who've uh, died in conflict, those who've made the ultimate sacrifice to bring us freedom from the tyranny of oppression. And we thank God today for his protection and provision through times of military strife. But we don't celebrate the end of war. You don't need me to tell you men continue to fight against each other, most notably the uh, conflict in Afghanistan for us. uh, That continues as troops try to rid that nation of the Taliban. As a result, desperately we see brave young men and women, some of them still teenagers, losing their lives in that war zone. And uh, civil war continues in Syria. We're told 150 people a day losing their lives. And there are conflicts in the world that, that don't make the headlines. Uh, here in the UK. Did you know that uh, since the end of the Second World War, not a week has gone by where there's not been a war somewhere in the world? Planet Earth is a troubled place, and that's uh, not just a a 20th or 21st century phenomena. Uh, The BBC is currently broadcasting Andrew Marr's History of the World. It uh, makes for uh, fascinating watching. And those who've watched it will know that the history of the world is full of conflict, littered with war. And yet some people have predicted the end of war and a glorious new world order of peace to come. I've uh, quoted before uh, Prince Albert at the opening of the Great Crystal Palace exhibition of 1851, but I think it bears repeating. Prince Albert said, Nobody who's paid any attention to our present era will doubt for a moment that we are living at a period of most wonderful transition which moves rapidly to accomplish that great end to which indeed all history points, the realisation of the unity of mankind. The unity of mankind. Back in 1851, that's what Prince Albert believed this world was about to see. But you know what happened 63 years later, World War I, where the number of war dead was 9.4 million people. An average of about 6,000 deaths for every day of the war. Uh, with such carnage, surely we would learn, surely it would be the war to end all wars. But we don't need Andrew Marr to tell us that 20 years later the Second World War began. And during that conflict, Churchill said these words, if we can stand up to Hitler and uh, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad sunlit uplands. And today, remember, they did rid Europe of Hitler and we thank God that they did. But the broad sunlit uplands have been darkened again and again by monstrous dictators who want to rule the world. There have been so many false dawns So many people have had dreams of a brighter future, of a world of peace. 
Now, just this week, as President Obama was elected to a, a second term in office during his victory speech, he said these words, our economy is recovering, a decade of war is ending, a long campaign is over. He's predicting a brighter future, as so many have before him. Uh, but in our cynicism, let's not knock them. Don't knock those who wanted and worked for a world of peace, because who doesn't want to dream of a, a brighter future, a future without war and a future of, of world peace forevermore? And don't knock them, because those dreamers dreamt of something that actually is a reality embedded in the heart of every man and woman who's ever born. You see, the Bible book of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has set eternity in our hearts. There is something in all of us that tells us that this world is not what we were made for. There's something in all of us that tells us a time-limited existence ruined by the shadow of death hanging over us is not what we were made for and not the end of the story. There is something in all of us, something that God has put in all of us that tells us there must be more. Tells us to look forward to a world of peace and freedom. A world where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. You see, to dream of something better, to dream of a world of peace is not a hopeless dream, but it's a reality. Since the beginning of September, we've been studying the book of Isaiah, and this dream of a brighter future is what the book of Isaiah is all about. Isaiah is a book that speaks of how a sinful, rebellious people, a people who've ignored God, how sinful people can be brought into a wonderful relationship with God and a glorious new eternal future. We read about it earlier in the service in Isaiah chapter 65. Uh, grab a Bible now, if you will, and turn with me again uh, to the reading that Claire read for us. Uh, the second of those two readings will come to, first of all, Isaiah chapter 65, page 752. Here we see the great future that the world is heading towards. Isaiah 65, verse 17 to 20. Here we read the very words of God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, verse 17, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't live out his years. It's a wonderful promise of a new world. A completely new world, mind you. A new world where there is no more sadness, end of verse 19. Where the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. This is the promise of a place of peace. Where conflict of every kind has ended. Look at the last verse in this chapter. Verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. In other words, the lion's no longer eating meat. No more killing. 
in this place, not even in the natural world order, as we call it. Wolf and lamb lying down together. I love those, uh, those posters of uh, wolves and lambs, of, of cats and dogs lying to Maybe you've got one in your home somewhere, you know, in the bathroom, uh, of the uh, cat and the dog lying down together. I love those posters, not because I'm a soppy old thing, but because I love to imagine the next shot of the dog jumping on the cat and fleur flying everywhere. Verse 25, this picture doesn't happen in this world, never will. So what is being promised here is something out of this world, a new world, a completely transformed world. That's the promise of the book of Isaiah. That is the promise of the whole of the Bible. That's the future that God has set in the hearts of all men and women. A world of peace and the absence of all conflict. That's what we long for today. And in the book of Isaiah, the first time we really begin to see how this promised world will become a reality is in chapter 9. Come back with me to page 693 as we look at this chapter together. Page 693 in Isaiah chapter 9. It was written to a people who knew all about war. Not by reading about it in the history books or by watching Andrew Marr's History of the World or by listening to their granddad's stories. No, they knew all about war because they were in the middle of a war zone. Like the people in Afghanistan and Syria today, the people of Isaiah, the people Isaiah was writing to were right in the middle of a raging conflict. How they longed for the picture we've just read. For the capital city, Jerusalem, was under siege from two nations who joined together in alliance against Judah. And in chapter 8, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, God's people were told by God that even worse was to come. The Assyrians, the world's superpower of the day, were going to march upon them in all their military might and destroy them. For them, death and destruction loomed. And so, as we saw last week, what the Lord said in chapter 9 was... Just what they needed to hear. In verse 2, the Lord promised a day of light in the darkness. Do you see it there? A light to chase away the shadow of death. Sometimes when I'm tucking my children into bed, or when they've already been tucked into bed, they'll come and tell me or Caroline that they're frightened of something in the room. And uh, when I look at what they're pointing to, I realise there's nothing there. It's just a shadow. And so the moment I turn the light on in the room, the shadow disappears. The light that chases away the darkness. As we grow older, most of us uh, learn that those shadows are nothing to fear. But there is a shadow that is completely terrifying. A shadow that we should fear. And do fear, it it is the shadow of death which hangs over all our lives. The shadow of death that makes this and every Remembrance Sunday poignant. The shadow of death that we come across, uh, and indeed that comes across our television sets as we hear the news that yet another soldier has been killed in conflict in Afghanistan. And the newsreader says these words, the family has been informed. 
I'm told they say those words so that all those who have loved ones out there can breathe a sigh of relief. They know it's not their loved one because no one has knocked on their door and the family has been informed. But of course, as it's announced, there is one family who was informed. And their shadow, their their world has been completely shattered. The shadow of death has darkened their lives forever. They know the agony of being separated from their loved one, of never again being able to see them and hold them and talk to them and laugh with them. And military conflict or not, all of us know the shadow of death hanging over us. So how wonderful here to hear of a a light that chases away the darkness of the shadow of death. The moment the light comes on, the shadow disappears. That's the promise here in verse 2. And so in verse 3, the Lord promises a time of unparalleled joy and rejoicing. Verse 3, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as the people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. I, um, I love uh, the old footage of the announcement of the end of the Second World War. You can see the black and white pictures in your mind, perhaps. The huge crowds that gathered on the streets of the major cities on VE Day. And there they all are, rejoicing, waving flags, people hugging strangers as they felt the relief and the overwhelming joy that war had ended. That's the promise here. For the promise of joy in verse 3 comes because of the end of oppression and war in verses 4 and 5. Isaiah describes it in verse 4 as like the day of Midian's defeat. There was no old footage of that day, but it was recorded in the Bible book of Judges and chapters 6 and 7. It was a great day in Israel's history. It was a great day of deliverance by their God. It was the story of how Gideon led God's people into a miraculous victory. And in doing so, led them to be free, verse 4, from the burden of oppression. And what the Lord promises here is the joy, not just of one oppressor being defeated. Just as they remembered in the day of Midian, and just as we remember today of previous oppressors who've been defeated. But not just one day of oppression being defeated. Now that only lasts until the time when another monstrous dictator comes to power. No, what the Lord promises here is a day of joy that is completely unparalleled because it will be the end of all oppression. That's why this is so good. And then in verse 5, the Lord promises the end of all war. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Do you see it? Here is the end of war for all time. Not just the end of the localised war that Judah was facing. See how verse 5 speaks of a day when every warrior's boot and every military garment will be destined for burning. This points to a day when a soldier's kit won't be ever needed again. This points to a day when they don't just pack up their kit for another time, they burn it. It will never be needed again. No wonder that that this is a day of such joy and rejoicing in verse 3. The pictures of rejoicing that you see in verse 3, the first one is one of harvest. I don't suppose we know an awful lot about that in our society. But for the first readers, when the harvest came in, there was rejoicing. The harvest was the guarantee of life for the year ahead. Once the harvest was in, the next thing to happen was a party, rejoicing. Rejoicing. 
Or take the other picture in verse 3, the joy of men dividing the plunder. Again, it's the picture of the end of war. A picture that the people of Judah knew all too well from being on the wrong end of it. Judah had seen the Syria-Israel alliance defeat many of their towns. And they'd seen this picture often. When the battle was won by their enemies, they'd seen the foreign soldiers joyful as they divided the plunder. The plunder was divided when the battle was won, when the war was over. That's the picture here. No wonder there's so much joy in verse 3. It's because there's peace, world peace forevermore. And so this prophecy speaks of a future that so many have dreamt of, a day when war and oppression are done away with. But it speaks of something even more. It speaks of a day that some people, well, everybody has never dared to believe possible. A day when death is no longer part of this world. And so is it any wonder that this speaks of a day of unparalleled joy? Let me ask you, what has been the happiest day of your life? Perhaps a special celebration. A time with the family. Maybe just an ordinary time. I don't know. A Christmas day, a birthday, a special anniversary, a holiday. Or just one of those ordinary days that you just wish would never end Imagine being to hang on to that day. And not so much the day, but the feeling of well-being, of being relaxed and at peace with yourself and the world around you. Imagine not just wishing that 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 day would never end, but it never ending. That's what's being promised here. It's too good to be true, isn't it? No. No. No, it's not, because it's where the whole of the book of Isaiah is heading. It's where the whole Bible is heading. Indeed, it is where the whole of history is heading, to a time and a place where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. A time and a place where where we will be at peace with our God. And here in Isaiah chapter 9, we discover how it can come about. As we began to see last week, it comes through verse 6. A child being born, a son being given to us. This is written some 700 years BC, but we know this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. He is the one, and indeed the only one, who can bring about what we long for, the eternity that God has set in our hearts See, people like Prince Albert have longed for that day of the unity of all mankind. They've had, a, in, a, in one sense, a right longing, but no, no means to bring it about. Here is the answer. That day can come about through Jesus Christ. And in closing, there's two reasons why it can come about. Firstly, he is the only one who can totally rule the world. History, as we've already thought, is littered with people who've wanted to rule the world. Dictators who've craved complete domination of the world. And when they've begun to get what they want, it has been a terrifying prospect. And then people have gathered together and they rise up united in their desire to depose such tyrants. But look what we read of here. 
Verse 6, Jesus is mighty God. He is the almighty creator of everything. And so he has the power to rule the world completely. He has the power to defeat all opposition. Which is why, verse 6, the government will be on his shoulders. And verse 7, his government will never end. But here's the wonderful good news. His rule will not be one to fear, not be one to reject it. No one will ever want to rise up to defeat him. For verse 7, he will establish and uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Yes, there will come a day when we will see Jesus has complete control. But here we see he can be trusted with it. Not to abuse it, but to use that all power that he has for the good of others. And so being under his perfect rule will be wonderful. His subjects will never want to rise up in rebellion against him. So he is, the, he is actually the only one who can completely and totally rule the world. He's the only one we'd ever want to. And secondly, he is the only one who can deal with our greatest problem. See there in verse 6 how he is called Prince of Peace. Today on this Remembrance Sunday, we long for peace. Just as those who first heard this longed for peace, they were at war. But the Prince of Peace brings peace by dealing with our biggest problem. You see, there is a cosmic war that needs to be dealt with. We, mankind, all of us, all of us individuals are not at peace with God. From the first moment our first father, Adam, turned away from God in the garden. We've all followed his footsteps and rejected God's rule, effectively saying that we want to be God. We want to make up the rules. I want to live my life my way. And if I want to be God and you want to be God, when we disagree, sparks will fly. And that's how war begins. And that's why we have this remembrance Sunday. And so left to ourselves, there will never be an end to oppression and war and death. You see, at the heart of the problem is my rejection of God. I am not at peace with God because I want to be God. And that causes conflict with you. Only the Prince of Peace can solve that problem. 4 verse 6 tells us that he is born a human being, born a child. And yet the same verse, verse 6, says he is mighty God. And Jesus is the God-man. The one who can reconcile God and mankind. And he did that by dying for us on a cross. Dying to take the punishment that I deserve for rebelling against him. And so at the cross he deals with our biggest problem. And as I look at the cross I know that he is the one who can rule the world with justice and righteousness. For this mighty God does not abuse his power but gives himself for the good of others. He made the ultimate sacrifice. Not for his comrades, not for his friends but for his enemies. That's what you and I are. Until he makes us his friends. He is a self-giving, self-sacrificing God. And that's the one I want to follow. And let me ask you this morning. Have you 
begun to follow him yet yourself. The Prince of Peace who loves you enough to die for you. This mighty God who you can trust completely to do the best for you because he's lived and died for you. This everlasting Father who can guarantee you life beyond the grave in his presence in a glorious new creation. Why not start with him today? And if you want to, I've got a booklet and uh, I'll be uh, holding these booklets in my hand on the door and just say to me, I'd like a booklet or I'd like to start with Jesus. Uh, And I'll give you one that will tell you how you can do that. On this Remembrance Sunday then, rightly we remember those who've died in military conflict. But Isaiah promises a future day when the terrible memories of military conflict and war will be healed and forgotten. And we will be with our God in a place of joy, free from death and the sound of weeping and crying. And there we will remember the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, a death that brought us peace with God and under his wonderful gracious rule in the new creation forever. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, that on this uh, important day, we have such wonderful good news. Good news of a day when all oppression and war will be ended. Good news of a great light having come into the world that can chase away the darkness of death. The good news of eternity spent with you, free from pain and crying and mourning and suffering. We thank you that this is not just a hopeless pipe dream, that these are not castles in the air that we're building but something solid and certain and secure because you've promised it in your word and you've shown it through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that on this day we remember that day and rejoice in our hearts that we have something so much better to look forward to. And we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.